Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 64. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. If you are in Northern Hemisphere, you're probably in the middle of a heavy block of base training, probably doing some hard work on the indoor trainer, maybe even on the treadmill. And you might be somebody who loses a lot of sodium in your sweat. That is, you have a high sweat sodium concentration. And if that is the case, especially as your workouts are getting longer, still containing some heavy or reasonably heavy power outputs, that will might mean that you need to think about how to replace those electrolytes and the sodium in particular that you lose for your sweat. Precision Hydration has a guide to help you with this. It's their free hydration plan that you can find right in the menu bar on their website. Go and check it out. It's a simple set of questions that you can answer in a couple of minutes and they will give you hydration advice based on your estimated but very well estimated sweat rate and sweat sodium content that you can use to perform better and recover better from training. Check them out and if you want to give their products a try you can use the promo code THATTRIATHLONSHOW all on word all caps to get your first box or tube of electrolytes for free. And big thank you to Roka. There are still a couple more weeks left to get your Christmas shopping done for your friends and family members. If there are triathletes, I would highly encourage you to check out roka.com. They have wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles and high-performance eyewear of the highest quality. So that might be a really good option for you if you're still looking for something to give for Christmas to your triathlon loved ones. Check them out and you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS all caps. With that, let's get into the first question from today, which which is from Jorit in the Netherlands, who writes, Hi Michael, I have a question that might be a topic for a podcast. The off-season. I haven't planned my next season yet, but my A race will probably be at the end of June. This means I'll start structured training beginning of March. This leaves a gap of many months of training. I have many questions regarding this period. The main question is, how can I fill this long period of time most effectively? Some possible sub-questions include, what kind of workouts should you do in the off-season and what kind of workouts should you not do? I've read articles that stated that in the off-season you should be doing mainly quality workouts since building high-end fitness takes a long time and building endurance is easier. Is there any periodization or progression in the off-season period and if yes, what kind? Should you be mainly focusing on your weakest discipline? For me, that's probably the swim, but I can still gain a lot on the bike and run as well. I imagine that if you have six months of time, for example, you split up this period in three blocks, one for each discipline. What should be the weekly training load for a typical age group athlete? And finally, the off-season is the perfect time for strength training. How do you cope with delayed onset muscle soreness if you have other sessions planned? My personal experience is that my muscles can be sore for two to three days after heavy weight training. Thank you so much, Jurit, for your questions. 
first of all, I think that you you sent in your question some time ago before we had recorded episode 201 with uh, my co-coaches James Teagle and uh, Lachlan Kieran. That was episode 201 and it's called Base Training Off-Season Do's and Don'ts. So definitely check that out. You probably already have, but it might be worth listening to it again. And for any new listeners, definitely go and, and have a listen to that episode 201. I'll link to it in the episode description. To answer your general question on how to fill the time most effectively, well, that's a lot about what we talk about in episode 201, and it's a topic that we could discuss for hours, but to give you some uh, quick highlights, the overriding principle is that you are training to improve fitness, but not necessarily to peak your fitness. You are also trying to improve your movement quality, so you should be doing some technical work in the pool, maybe work on your bike position, work on your running posture and your leg turnover for the bike and the run to set you up to to really be able to reach another fitness level by having the movement quality to uh, uh, as, as a basis for, for that fitness. So the training can and it should have structure to it. It shouldn't be unstructured training. Although that being said, so the training that you do it may be just with the purpose of maintaining your enjoyment and motivation so it doesn't all have to be structured in the sense that there are intervals and there are specific physiological or technical targets it might just be that you choose to every sunday go out for a 90 minute run on snowy trails you might not get that much snow in the netherlands uh, actually but uh, go out on on trails or go out and run in the countryside that's something that i love to do personally and uh, just to make sure that you keep the enjoyment for training up and that might be the purpose of of the session so you're not pushing your mental limit just like you are not necessarily pushing your physical limit even though you're working hard and that brings me to the next point that you should be challenging yourself appropriately you are not trying to push yourself to the very edge at this point of training, but you're definitely doing a certain amount of fairly hard work, making sure that you still have enough recovery or deloading in your program to not accumulate too much fatigue. So uh, to give you a reference point, you should not be as tired in your base training as you might be three to four weeks out from your A race, because you can sustain training under pretty heavy fatigue for a limited amount of time and uh, the best period to do that is when you are building up to an a race you don't want to waste that limited time available for training in a fatigued state at this point in time but you still want to be challenging yourself working hard but finding that right balance and not working way too hard and the final general point here is that you should be doing structured training and uh, you should, in my opinion, use whatever available training time you have to go and accumulate a good amount of training volume. You should also include some intensity through the base training phase. So all the same basic elements as you will be doing in the structured training leading up to your race will be there, but it might look quite a bit different compared to building up to a race in terms of what kind of workouts you are doing and, and so on. And that's what we're getting into in your sub-questions. So the first one of these was what kind of workouts should you do in the off-season and what kind of workouts not. I read articles that stated that in the off-season you should be doing mainly quality workout since building high-end fitness takes a long time and building endurance is easier. Well, this question or the answer to this question highly depends on the athlete profile and their goal race. So again, just some general pieces of advice here. When you think about your goal race, 
reverse engineer from that race so that you will do the most specific training the closest to the race. And the most specific training is obviously going to be very different for an Ironman race compared to a sprint distance race, especially if it's a draft legal sprint distance race. So if your A race is an Ironman, you'll be doing a lot of that kind of intensity, Ironman intensity, later on in your training. Meaning that during base training, you probably should focus on some other intensity levels as your main focus areas. That doesn't mean that you need to completely stay off uh, intensities relevant for your race in the base training period, but it just means that uh, that the emphasis might be elsewhere. So for example, if uh, you are a sprint distance athlete, you might be like an elite, a sub-elite athlete that are trying to get to, to world European Cups and World Cups or even WTS races then for that kind of athlete, we may still do uh, some work at uh, at your VO2 max or high threshold in the, in the base training phase for sure. But we'd make sure to get in some valuable work at more moderate intensities as well. So doing some tempo work and sweet spot work because we'll decrease the amount of that type of training later on as we get closer to the races and that those kinds of intensities are less specific for the race. There are exceptions to this rule, but that would be the general principle. And uh, another point I want to make here is that aerobic fitness, uh, that is for any distance, it's the, the primary thing that we're trying to, that we're chasing as triathletes. And that aerobic fitness, aerobic endurance comes from consistent and frequent aerobic exercise. So do your best to build up to whatever is a reasonably high volume of training for you that you can still stay at uh, week in week out essentially so that you're you're not training so much that you need to take extensive recovery periods and that in itself that in itself staying at that sort of moderately challenging volume week in week out may be a powerful stimulus for your body if it's not used to doing this especially not over a long period of time throughout the entire base season so that would probably should have been maybe even my first piece of advice here because it's that important. But those would be some general uh, things about what to do and what to do less of in the base training phase. The second sub-question is, is there any periodization or progression in the off-season period or base training period? If yes, what kind? So again, it depends. But generally, I like to work in in smaller training blocks or mesocycles where we focus primarily on one intensity level with uh, a couple of secondary intensity levels as well. So for example, a lot of my athletes are doing quite a bit of tempo work right now and it is fairly early on in their base phase, maybe one month in or so. And the reason for that is that we can do that sort of intensity while also still being in the phase of ramping volume back up and they can benefit from that training at this early stage. They can recover well from it, even though they're not at their peak fitness. They don't get too fatigued from it, so they can back it up. And it builds a great foundation to take on and absorb more and harder work later on. So it is sort of the traditional periodization model here, in in some ways at least, that we're looking at. And I find that for certain types of athletes, in particular those that are training at fairly high volumes, fairly high level athletes, that 
sort of approach tends to work pretty well. Uh, there are many other ways of skinning the cat here, obviously, and you could do it in different orders. We obviously have the reverse periodization uh, crowd, and that's also a very uh, good method of doing things. The main thing here, I guess, is know why you're doing what you're doing, have a reason for it, and uh, and uh, explain to yourself why do you choose to do a certain type of training. But uh, yeah, the general gist of this, I guess, is that uh, I think that working in in mesocycles where you focus on one primary like intensity level uh, it tends to work quite well for most athletes even though it's not definitely not the the one and only way of doing things and um, so in the example of the athletes that i coach that are doing a block of let's say four or five weeks focused on tempo training then they might move on to another block of um, that we focus more on threshold. So we move up the intensity a little bit and try to raise their threshold, etc. So so there is kind of a periodization there in in this block kind of sense. For beginners, I would say. Uh, so sorry, going back, there is a periodization for the intermediate and advanced athletes. But for beginners, it's important to remember that it's mostly about the consistency of training and also about getting the intensity of your easy workouts right and not doing that too hard. But for the rest, what kind of intensity you're doing, how hard you're doing it, uh, make sure you do some intensity. Include that uh, every week in each discipline, a little bit of it. But uh, I think that you're getting to 80, 85% of the benefits by doing just that, by being consistent, by doing the easy work at an appropriate intensity and then having some intensity in all the other disciplines and uh, the periodization there doesn't really matter that much, to be honest. Honest, It's more about the consistency and the frequency of training. And uh, for progression, in specifically, there is progression in the base training, absolutely. Do not jump straight into your target, your ultimate target base training volume or level of intensity after immediately after a season break. Build up to it gradually. And uh, with intensity, don't do the incredibly challenging workouts that you plan to do eventually don't do them off the bat build into them over over weeks and then after after weeks after after a month or so you might have arrived at your stable target weekly volume if we're looking at the volume side of things again and then generally speaking you can aim to stay around that volume for uh, most of the weeks throughout your base training and the progression that you do will happen with the intensity and there are two ways of doing that either you increase the duration at a particular intensity or you increase intensity itself and uh, there are different schools of thoughts i think both um both ways here both uh, uh, routes have uh, merit and have value and can work uh, but again you don't need to progress as much as to really be on the limit uh, you should be working hard but not so hard that you can't enter the race specific preparation maybe 12 weeks out from your from your race if or 8 to 12 weeks out from your race relatively sharp and fresh and ready to uh, maybe even slightly increase your training load the next sub question is should you be mainly focusing on your weakest discipline for me that's probably the swim but i can still gain a lot on the bike and run as well I can imagine that if you have six months, you split up the period in three blocks, one for each discipline. Yes, I think that generally I would focus more time on the weakest discipline. And for many, like you, that is the swim. I wouldn't just arbitrarily split the base training phase in three phases, one for each discipline, unless you have, again, a good reason to believe that that is a good idea for you. 
In fact, I think that if you are a fairly well-rounded and balanced athlete, then for many athletes, I would say that keeping the program fairly balanced and well-rounded in terms of the distribution between disciplines is a good idea rather than and then skewing it too much uh, towards uh, towards one particular discipline in one particular block. Uh, but uh, one thing to note, if you are focusing on a weakness like the swim, remember the principle of the minimal effective dose. I think it's quite easy, especially for highly motivated athletes, to say to themselves, to themselves that I really need to improve my swim. I'm going to start swimming six times per week. I'm going to hit 25 kilometers or more week in, week out. And that may just be too much. And especially considering that, well, it is your weakest discipline. So it's likely also the discipline where you can handle the least amount of training load because your fitness and technique isn't on par with your stronger disciplines where you can therefore handle more load. So I would still start the base training phase with some fairly balanced weeks and from there work to gradually increase the emphasis on your weakest discipline. So you on a week by week basis can assess how you feel. And if you think that adding more training in that specific discipline uh, still makes sense, then, uh, then you can do that. But if you're already at a point where you think that, okay, increasing the swim volume even more from here uh, probably will mostly see an increase in fatigue for no additional increase in improvement rate. So you can make that assessment on a weekly basis. That's how I would recommend that you approach things. The next question here was, what should be the weekly training load for a typical age group athlete? So this is impossible to answer uh, because I don't think that there is such a thing as a typical age group athlete. Everybody needs to be seen in uh, their own context. Or, I mean, I guess that's not entirely correct. Let's... Um, Let's rephrase that. Uh, I think that if you want to do well in triathlon, but uh, you don't necessarily aim to, to compete for podiums or world championship qualifications, and you, are, you have a normal job, a normal, let's say, 9 to 5 job, and you might have a family, then I think that if you can get in three bikes, runs, and swims per week, and two strength training sessions, even if they might just be shorter home-based strength training sessions. They, they, you don't necessarily have to go to the gym for that. It would be great if you can, but it's not absolutely necessary. Then that would be amazing. But, uh, and this is a big but, you should only try to do this if you are motivated enough to, to do this type of training consistently and can keep enjoying the sport while doing that. But from a training standpoint, I think that at that type of training level, three workouts per week in each discipline, plus two strength and conditioning sessions, I think that at that training level, many age groupers will start to see some amazing things happen with fitness improvements. So uh, yeah, this is for the example where we have a normal 95 job, we have a family, let's say we have uh, a spouse and uh, and two kids, uh, but uh, but we can, but we have some time to train still and we have the motivation and enjoyment to do that. Then that would be a template example, but again, it really depends on, on your individual context. And uh, the final question here was, the off season is the perfect time for strength training. How do you comp co cope with delayed onset muscle soreness if you have other sessions planned? My personal experience is that my muscles can be sore for two or three days after heavyweight training. So this is uh, absolutely true. And uh, just to give you a bit of a background, the primary reason for DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, is 
muscle fiber damage and uh, almost always this results from simply exceeding your muscles current capacity and so you ha you have done much more training than you are currently accust accustomed to so the best way to prevent doms is a progression that is gradual enough and it may be so gradual and starting from so light a level that it seems silly but you'll probably benefit from it in the end when you can do your swim bike and run work without having that debilitating doms so please do slowly work your way into a new strength training program with a significantly reduced load and this adaptation period uh, can take weeks uh, but it will be beneficial it will not only help you to avoid doms but it will uh, it will help you to own your technical skills for each exercise uh, without the risk of injury that higher weights might might carry with them so it's very beneficial to to be gradual in your progression in the first few weeks of a strength training program and you will read about some other things that might decrease DOMS, like stretching, foam rolling supplements, and um, stretching probably there is no evidence to. Foam rolling, there is some evidence and supplements. There is some evidence for certain supplements, but the lion's share of uh, minimizing or eliminating DOMS comes from uh, having the appropriate progression and the appropriate uh, load of your strength and conditioning sessions and giving your body time to adapt to that load. So, so use the first four weeks or so of your strength training to really consider it an adaptation period and choose significantly lighter weights than what you are actually capable of lifting for any given rep range. So for example, if, uh, if you are planning on doing squats and you're planning to do three or four sets of six to 10 reps, uh, maybe let's, let's call it eight to 10 reps, and, uh, and you are you know that you would be able to complete that set at um, let's say 70 kilograms then uh, and and you you could do that basically but it would be it would be heavy for you and you couldn't do much more than that at that sort of rep range then choose to do during this first four weeks start at half of that weight start at 35 kilograms the first two or three sessions and then maybe you go up to 40 for two or three sessions and then to 45 for uh, for two to three sessions and and so on so so really work into it from a much 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 lower load than you're actually capable of lifting because even if you are capable of lifting that amount what happens is that you're ca causing so much muscle fiber damage and that is what causes that debilitating uh, muscle soreness that you feel that takes two to three days to recover from so uh, so you really might need to have a mindset shift and lifting much much less than you actually uh, think that you need to to eliminate that DOMS or at least minimize it. Minimize it. So that's it for your question. And uh, I want to, uh, to make a note here that these are very general tips and following them will still get you a long way, but to really get 100% out of the off season, uh, it should be individualized to your goals, your, the events you're training for and your strengths and weaknesses. So there, there are still things to, that you could you could do beyond these basic tips but for most listeners i think that these tips will will get you pretty far 
So the second question is from Noel in the United Kingdom who writes, I focus on sprint and Olympic duathlons. In terms of race goals, I do not have a specific target race, but my long-term aim is to qualify for an ITU or ETU age group event. However, as I'm in a very competitive age group, 35 to 39, my secondary goal is to meet the minimum cutoff time of 115% of the winner. My main question would be about setting good targets as completing the race is not an issue, but I can't find an interim step between the goal of completing races and the goal of winning races, or even stepping up a distance, which I'm not planning on doing. Do you have any suggestions for the keen guys who can't get to the front of the pack quite yet? Thanks again, Noel. So thank you, Noel, for your question. There are You have quite a few options here, honestly. If we start with uh, outcome goals... One of the best types of goals that you can use, in my opinion, is what percentile of either your age group or the entire field that you uh, want to finish in. So, for example, you could have as a goal to next year finish in the top 50% of a particular event that you're targeting, and then perhaps the the following year or the following event, the top 40% of the field and so on, or the age group. And this is a great kind of goal as it's independent on weather and other external conditions as opposed to time goals. And for large enough races that have, let's say, a couple of hundred participants at least, and uh, that are also non-championship races and in the same country, this might be very different from comparing the UK to, for example, Finland or something like that. But in the same country and for large enough races that are non-championship races, the distribution of athlete abilities, it ends up being very similar. So you can compare finishing in the top 20% of your age group or the entire field in a flat duathlon in London with finishing in the top 20% in a hilly duathlon in Yorkshire, even though courses and times may be completely different. And also since this uh, percentile kind of goal if assuming it's based on a relatively large sample of participants it's not at all sensitive to who shows up on the day uh, the way that a goal like finishing on the podium would be because if you happen to get two really really fast guys maybe ex-pros show up and they're competing in your age group then you're basically fighting to win among all the rest to even get on the podium so uh, so that uh, outcome goal is uh, is very sensitive to who shows up on the day not so much for a percentile finish you could also go for goals that are more related to your own performance so a time goal as mentioned But in that situation, I would recommend only have a time goal for the same course or for one specific course and keep in mind that weather will make a big difference. So this means that since weather might change, it's out of your control. Don't put all your eggs in the time goal basket. I wouldn't have it as a primary goal in any event, really. I would rather have some other goal, for example, the percentile goal or even a goal like finishing on the podium or something like that, if I have a good idea of who will show up. And uh, you could even have a goal like holding specific power numbers if you have power on the bike and potentially on the run uh, as other goals in addition to time. Because what you don't want to do is to have the time goal as the one and only thing that you hinge your success on and then you turn up to the most horrific weather in in the history of duathlon and there's no way that anybody's going to hit their goal times. 
so I mentioned there uh, wattage goals. So that's more on the process side of things. So you could have a goal. I guess it's it depends on how you see it. It's uh, it's kind of an outcome goal, really, but it's uh, focusing on your own performance and it's uh, less dependent on external variables like weather. So you could have a goal like holding X amount of watts on the bike and uh, and even on the run if you're running with a power meter. Uh, because that's not really dependent on the type of course you race and uh, on the bike it's not even dependent on weather that much on the run if if you have the new stride actually then that can help you uh, compensate for wind even so so that's uh, a great use of the new stride unit you could also have uh, the goal of for example having something like at most a five seconds per kilometer pace differential between the first and the second run in your duathlon if you've typically had something like a 10 second per kilometer difference so having as a goal to reduce that that pace gap and of course given that you have that long-term goal of getting a spot at an international race you could set as a goal to be only x minutes behind the last qualifier in your next race or even getting to 120% of the cutoff time for your next year and then the year after 117 and then 115 and so on, gradually inching towards those long-term goals that you have. And finally, you have the much more subjective, completely process-driven goals, like a goal could be to just push yourself harder than you've ever done before, or really being brave on the bike, taking risks in terms of how you pace it, not in terms of, you know, crashing into other people or anything like that but in terms of how you pace it being aggressive pushing the power from the start pushing to the limit and hoping you can still do well on the second run those kinds of process driven goals can also be really good to have so as you can see you have a large large number of options Uh, what i would say is that it's important to choose something that is possible and uh, realistic but not a given it should push you and maybe make you a little bit nervous the good kind of nervous that will help you get the most out of yourself and it should excite you because if it doesn't it will be a lot harder to get out of the bed in the morning and work for that goal compared to a goal that actually excites you so i hope this helps and good luck with your training and that wraps it up for this week's q and I have plenty of links, as usual, in the episode description to relevant episodes and, uh, and other resources. Uh, so check that out. Also remember to keep sending in questions to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And it's Michael with a K. And if you enjoy the information you get from the podcast, go and check out our website, scientifictriathlon.com. There are everything from training plans to individual coaching services there that you can have a look at if you want to learn more and improve your triathlon or endurance performances. Big thanks finally to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get your free hydration plan and try out your first box of, or tube of electrolyte products for free with the promo code thattriathlonshow, all one word, all caps. And thank you to Roka for sponsoring the podcast. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. All super high quality. Great, great options for Christmas gifts for your triathlon friends and family members. Use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>